Well, good morning and thanks for making time to come in. And actually I wanted to, before we talk about the, the sacrament appointed for the day, I, I wanted to do just a little dip back um, into what we talked about last week. We mostly talked about the Eucharist. Remember the prayer book tells us in the catechism that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and visible grace, right? Outward and visible sign of an, no, I'm sorry, an inward and spiritual grace. Thank you, I just contradicted myself. There we go. Inward and spiritual grace. And there are seven of these traditionally, those seven being uh, the major two, the prayer book calls the major two, baptism and the Eucharist, right, which is the vocation of every Christian, the calling. And then there are five others that are called the lesser sacraments, not because they're less important, but because they're not the, the vocation of every Christian, but some. Those being confirmation, ordination, reconciliation, used to be called confession, right? Unction, uh, anointing with oil, and marriage, right? And as, as you know, that's not, none of those are for everybody, although prayer book likes to think that baptism and Eucharist are, okay? And uh, it's important before we talk about one not on the list, which is the goal of the day, as a way of sort of just expanding our minds about how we can be sacramental people and sort of what that means, is um, by, by reviewing one of these other words that's really, really famous, and, and in the context of the Eucharist, I think it makes a lot of sense. Many of you, I think, are familiar with that word, uh, liturgy. Uh, does anybody know what it means? If you had to guess, or Nick, you've got an idea. Work of the people. Maybe you've heard that before. A lot of people come, like myself, come to the Episcopal Church from a different denomination. I came from really sort of a, a low evangelical, right? And, and what a lot of people say, you know, they ask, well, why were you attracted to the Episcopal Church? And often the answer is the liturgy, right? By which we really mean the order of the service, the, the, the language of prayer, right? Having Eucharist, having the sermon, that sort of bit, right? In, in, in my, my Southern Baptist life, we would say, I like the bulletin. Does, <laughs> does, does it make sense? Or I like the leaflet, right? That would be the kind of the bits we'd say when we really use the word liturgy. Um, but if you'd asked me why I became an Episcopalian, I probably would not have said to you, oh, because of the work of the people. Actually, there's a big misunderstanding about what liturgy means. Work of the people is only partially right, and it's important to know, to know this because it actually guides, I think, our experience of offering sacraments to, to one another. Um, liturgy is a Greek word, again, that if you literally define it, means work of the people, but, but, it, but it really shows up in the following context. You know, in the ancient world, there wasn't a department of public works. People didn't pay taxes to build roads and infrastructures like we do now. Right? So, so the city of Nassau Bay I live in has got the grounds crew out every day in these little carts, right? And, and I pay taxes to make sure that bridges get built and maintained, right? Uh, we pay gasoline taxes to do that business. They didn't do that. <laughs> well, what happened when there needed to be a bridge for lots of people? They found a patron, I mean, so this worked on a patronage system. You know, artists worked as patrons. They had to have a sponsor that would sort of pay them to make this art. Well, wealthy benefactors, frankly, would build a bridge for the public good. And that's liturgy. Liturgy is the work or the, the patronage of people on behalf of all the people if that makes sense, what I'm saying. It's the work of some of the people on behalf of the rest of the people. And there's really no better way to think about the Lord's Supper and what that means, frankly, than by thinking about the altar guild as, as being the primary liturgists, right? Because the altar guild, some of you are on it, some of you don't know what they do. Uh, what they do is they basically prepare the table to be set. They make sure that the linens are crisp, and neat and ironed, right? Clean, that's important, that the silver is polished, and of course, we know that the fanciness of it isn't what it's about, but we also know 
that having it set and neat is about as inviting and dignifying as we can be for those. So we're not doing it just for God. We're not saying God needs a neat table. No, no, we know that when we're going to serve a special meal, we dignify it with the setting as well, right? The, the author guild are the principal liturgists in preparing for the Eucharist because they do that work at their expense on behalf of everybody who comes up. Does, does, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Right? When you think through the sacraments, right, I mean, in general, that's sort of how it goes. Sometimes the, 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 the liturgist is the clergy, right? Sometimes the clergy is the one doing a lot of the work in a sac- to, to orchestrate God's sacramental understanding, like the anointing of oil, right? Now, you could say the people who press the olives are also liturgists, and that's true, right? The bishop who consecrates the oil is a liturgist, and that's true. The priest who puts it on the person's head is a liturgist, that's true, doing the work at their own effort, right, on, on behalf of other folks. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Um, and all that's important because when we think about sacraments, right, these are outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual graces, it is important to think about how do they embody grace and who are the liturgists. And of course, you know, it's also really helpful because sometimes we think that the people doing the active work are the ones doing the work when actually receiving baptism can be a lot of work for people. Going up to God's table can actually be a lot of work for people who have been hurt or who have been rejected. Do you, do you know what I mean? Sometimes somebody going up to the table when they're afraid they don't belong there, they're the principal liturgist. Right? So, so it's good to just think about this, right, and how that can be sacramental. If I'm wasting your time, you're going to tell me, right? You're going to say, stop this. Um, um, now that we reviewed and set in, I think let's pray and we'll talk about the eighth sacrament, if that's okay. The Lord be with you. God, guide us as we contemplate outward and visible signs of your, of your grace so that we can be inwardly renewed and be agents of renewal for our world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I want to talk to you really about one of the ways that I think this makes the most sense, and it doesn't make the list in the prayer book, but, but, but truth be told, um, I, I, I can't think of a better way that I have experienced outward and visible signs of God's inward and spiritual grace or been an, a liturgist of it than through the sacrament of service. Now look, I'm already treading on thin ice here because the prayer book doesn't say service is a sacrament, but, but I would ask you to use your reason and your scripture and tradition, which is the way that we do this as Episcopalians, to evaluate the claim that service is sacramental. And what do I mean when I say service? Well, service is really, frankly, meeting somebody's need or want in a way that conveys grace to them. That might be in baptism or the Lord's Supper, but that also might be in helping a homeless person find food or shelter, in helping an abused person find relief and patronage and sobriety. These are the bits of service I'm talking about. And you might say, well, Mike, aren't you really talking about outreach? And I want to do something a little bit naughty here because, you know, we're Episcopalians and we like words. We do, right? Episcopalians are the best Scrabble players um, because we have lots of, frankly, useless words in our vocabulary. But But I want to actually put up these two words that a lot of churches use and talk about why I'm not sure that they're really good words. Okay? Have you ever heard about outreach and inreach? And if I ask you, and it, look, this is not a trick. Like, this is not being bad. There's, I think the spirit of these words is fine, but, I, but I'm going to ask us to reconsider the letter of them as we go through because I think, it's, I think it's helpful to think about whether these words actually point us to a sacramental understanding or not. What's the difference between outreach and inreach? Outreach is for those outside the parish and inreach is for those inside. Okay. Does that seem pretty fair? What kind of projects are in reach projects in your head? Sunday school. Sunday school. 
Okay, that's an interesting one. Okay, what else? Parties. Parties are in reach. Okay. Can it be as simple as just taking care of the grounds? Could be. Taking care of the grounds. So like building new buildings, painting what we got, putting plants down. Right? Those are kind of in reach. Because who are those things for? What kind of stuff's outreach? You said for people outside the parish. So, food ministry, the shoes sold for souls, and keeping the Now that's a dissenting opinion. Keeping the building up was previously identified as an inreach idea, wasn't it? I didn't plan her, and she'll tell you, right? So already we're at a really crucial bit here, right? One of the things that we typically think about in reach, Nadine's just said, is outreach. Would you say why? Because other people will judge us by how we conduct the business. I think that's helpful. You know that we have groups that meet here during the week that have not really anything to do with their parish. Some of whom are, are they, 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 they do bits like there's a dance group that meets here because they need the space, right? So, so they, they, they rent the space from us for about $10 a week, you know. We're not using it. Um, is that outreach or inreach? There's a, there's a dance group who attends. Well, none of them really go to our church except for one, one little girl. You call that outreach. Okay. We get $10 a week. <laughs> See, this is interesting. Now look, some of you are thinking, like, what's the point of all this? Uh, the truth is, Jesus didn't say, right, I came to inreach so you can inreach to others. The Son of Man came to do outreach so that you could reach out. Jesus said the Son of Man came to, be, came to serve, and we can be servants of others, right? And, and I think what's helpful is sometimes we use these words because they help our mind categorize a budget, but they actually are creating a false bifurcation, right? The, the truth is the church is here not to reach out or reach in. The church is here to be servants of God and servants of the world. And I, you naturally find in any, in any group of people at home, dealing with your house, right, which is, by the way, the root of the word economics, how you run your household, different economists, right, ones that want to have fine food and fine entertainment and ones who want to save money and ones who want to build up the house, right? <laughs> and, and, and what do you know? I think we find ourselves that way, too. Now, look, I'm, I'm probably boring you, but, 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 but I think it's actually really important to say taking care of care of our grounds as a service if we invite other people to use them with us. It's a funny thing because in the Episcopal Church we don't own the grounds. <laughs> Even if we beautify them, we don't own it. Which is really hard for me to get through my little brain because I grew up in a you know, Baptist church where we owned that stuff. We owned it so much that if you didn't like the sermon, the pastor would be gone that afternoon. <laughs> And you could have the locks changed on the rectory that afternoon because he didn't own that place and, 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 and the church did. Um, what I want to suggest to you, though, is, again, I think these help us categorize, but I think Nadine's already put her, her finger on something that's really helpful for us when we think about, about sacraments and, frankly, about stewardship, which is all related to how we serve, right, is the stuff matters. That's the point of the sacrament. The stuff matters. The water matters, the wine matters, the oil matters, and that means really the stuff of buildings, the, 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 the stuff of being prepared for worship matters, you know, and if, and if I asked you if having the Eucharist is outreach or inreach, I hope you would say it's service. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Because if somebody from the community comes in and can't be served, that's inreach and it's sin. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? If we're not open to the world participating in everything we do, that's in reach. And that's sin. I think so. Telling people they can't participate 
in, at the Lord's table, I think it's wrong. I think it's separating them from God. <laughs> There's something that's bothering me about Please, please. Ah, this is good. So let me do something really naughty and tell you, I think, that the whole point of service is evangelism. Now, that E word is one of those things that means, well, frankly, it's one of those words that a certain group of people have taken and narrowly defined. And so the way I did it in high school and the way I relate to the word is, and I've said this before, I would go to laundry mats and I would talk to people who were physically stuck in the building because <laughs> they couldn't get away. And, and, and normally I prayed on people's good graces because, you know, people in general, we can talk about how teenagers are rude and all that bit, but in general, people in this country, in my experience, try to be cordial. <laughs> you know, unless they're just having a really bad day, they try to be cordial. So I would go to people on the laundromat and do evangelism. I would say, if you died today, do you know that you're going to heaven? And they would say, well, I think so, or I hope so. And I'd say, well, let's just pretend you did die today. And God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell God? And they would say, well, I, I don't really know what, I'm, what I'd say. Or I'd say, you know, I've tried to live a good life. And I'd say... That's what I would, that's, and now at the point, that's what I would say, you know, I'd say, please, uh, my buzzer's ringing, gotta fold the clothes, you know, yeah. No, no, but see, people actually put up with us doing this, right, because those questions really are difficult to win. I mean, I was looking for one answer. People had to know yes, and the only acceptable answer to question two is, I've asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. If we didn't get those answers, then, then, then they were going to get evangelism. Good news, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're completely wrong about, about your premonitions. Yes, I'm going to heaven, I try to be a good person. Good news, you're going to hell if you die tonight. But you don't have to. <laughs> you just have to think like I'm getting ready to explain you. This, is, this was it. Honestly, when you hear the word evangelism, how many of you have that kind of image come up in your head? And see, many of you are good. And let me tell you why this is unfortunate. Because the word evangelism means communicating good news to someone else. Communicating good news to someone else. Right? Now, now we could be really churchy. And we could say that only happens when somebody authentically prays a certain thing. The, the truth is, if somebody is hungry and you give them something to eat, did you just communicate good news to somebody else? And the answer is yes, because you served them. Right? This is actually the goal of the church, is evangelism. I mean, period. Is to communicate and to be good news to the world. And that's what I want to suggest to you when I said these other bits. I know this is really strong language, but if churches are only going about doing in-reach, I think it's sinful because they're not being or communicating good news to the world. Now, we know that church members are the ones who take advantage more often than non-church members of a lot of thing, a lot of the means of grace that we're used to, right? However, if no one else is welcome, it's that. And then you're not communicating good news because if somebody comes to church and says, I'd like to worship with you, good news, you're not welcome. <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying, right? And, and, and this, I think, is what's, what's on the line for us, right? And then you can start to think, is it evangelism when you visit somebody who's in prison? 
Well, unless you go to say you're a scumbag and I hate you and I hope you rot in here. Do you, do you know what I mean, right? Well, telling them are scumbags, probably not. But going and visiting and saying, you know, you're worth my drive and you're worth my time. Even if this visit doesn't go like I hope, I, I, I came because I just want you to know in person I care about you. Man, you know, that'd be a short visit, but that, that'd probably be good news for just about anybody if that's always said. You, you, you know what I mean? Good news? It's good news to visit somebody in the hospital when they're sick. Are you communicating any kind of good news to them with your visit? Do, those of you who have been really in moments of anxiety or fear or doubt or need, did you need people to say much to you, or was it enough if they showed up? See, I, think, I, th- I really think this it becomes sacramental, right? Because the truth is there's people who have showed up for me, verbally or physically, to do this, and that was an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Right? Now, I'm not going to rewrite the prayer book and say there should be eight sacraments. I mean, seven's a special number. But I really invite you to consider whether service has not been in your own life, either as a liturgist, the one giving it, or a liturgist, the one receiving it, an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And I would ask you, those of you who have done mission trips or service projects, you were doing this service, and who do you think received more grace? The, the liturgist, the one doing the work. If you ask the person receiving it, they'd probably tell you them. And when both people tell you they're receiving more grace, usually you're in the, the realm of sacramentality. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? If you ask somebody who bears the chalice on Sunday mornings, who receives more grace? The person drinking from it or the person holding it? I'm suspicious you'll hear, well, the person serving it, me. (laughs) And if you ask the people who come to the rail, probably they'd say them. When you get that win-win, that's when we're starting to tread into sacramental territory, I, I think. Okay. Is that, is that all right? Do we have any other comments about this? I would invite you, just a couple of you, to think for a second about an experience of service you've had that you would say that was sacramental. Either you were the one offering, or you were the one receiving, or you were on both ends. If anybody's willing to share one of those, I'd be, I'd be very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I've had, I've carried bags around for weeks before I could find the humblest person on the corner here in our area. Yeah. But that one time that you make that connection, when I saw someone, I had to get out of my car, go around, open up the back, get the bag out. It was a little rumpled, and gave it to him. And it was, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, go, please. That's interesting, isn't it, to think about even serving on a search committee for a priest is evangelism and is service, right? Again, we normally think, no, no, service is when you help people who are in need. But, but again, I think what's great about the word service is that it recognizes any service and not just something like physical relief. Does, does that make sense? I'm really grateful for that example. You know, somebody told me about the, the blessing bags, and this is better than I could put it. They said, you know, 
I used to try to not see those people. But since I got the bags, I look for them. <laughs> now, again, the, the bags are clearly an evangelism for the giver who is now looking for human beings in need instead of trying not to see them, right? I mean, that, that's, again, that's a sacramental business, right? I, I, again, I've told you, I think that's why we do baptism publicly, to remind us that that person, that's one of God's own. I'm, I need to make sure I treat them like that. And, and that's sort of like what happens when you give one of these folks a bag, especially when you're uncomfortable. It's one of God's folks. I better, I better help them because I can, right? Um, any, 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 anybody else? I don't want to take too much time or, or be, you know, too, too prying. Every Wednesday, I, I visit people and uh, volunteer chaplain at St. Luke's. And I go in people's room and, and uh, there's a little thing offered in prayer. The sign stands like the Lord will that. They are stuck there. Yeah. But um, sometimes I think for them it's an unexpected grace, the way they thank you. Yeah. I actually think because people are in the hospital often against their will, that visiting them because they're stuck there is usually appreciated. <laughs> in the laundromat, you know, they're there slightly against their will, but they get to go, you know, they get to go. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, sir. So I was at the Starbucks and, and pulling into the drive thru was kind of confusing and, and I actually managed to cut off the car that was pulling behind me. And I didn't mean to and I, I accidentally did it. And so I pulled around and when I got to the window I said, Would you pay for the car behind me? This line because you know he was pretty upset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Thanks, and and I think that's a really great, great, great bit. I mean, I actually was at a school a couple of years ago, and I and I tried to give every teacher a gift, and there was one particular teacher we had not gotten along with, you know, and I just really I thought, you know, I shouldn't give that guy that thing, you know, because. He won't want it, you know, and, and um, I guess I came to this, this bit, right, where, where um, it didn't matter if he wanted it or appreciated it, I was just going to give it, you know. And, and, and go ahead and following that was, was sacramental for me. It, it was evangelism for me, doing this thing. Um, it, it, it was important for me to, to treat him the way I had treated all the other teachers. Um, I don't know how he ever received and it doesn't matter. <laughs> You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. When it goes both ways, win-win, right? That's when it's sacramental for both of us, but it, but it certainly can be one way, right? Well, okay, so why am I talking about all this anyway? Because, you know, um, hopefully I'm making the case that, 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 that service and evangelism is what we're all about and that service and evangelism are sacramental. And I also wanted us to take just a bit together as a parish, and I know not everybody can be here at these things, but to think about the ways we're doing this. Think about the ways we're doing it. Now, I'll tell you, um, everything we do from Altar Guild, that's the A, I don't think we have a Z, through Young Adult Ministry, I'm convinced is service and is evangelism if we do them right. I mean, I, I, I think that. However, I do think that we have a lot of really amazing kinds of service, particularly dedicated towards people outside 
of our regular attendance, I mean targeted. And those were the bits I wanted to talk about today, not because they're better or worse, I just wanted to highlight those. And, and actually, I wanted to take your pulse and see um, your experience with them. And honestly, if there's other things we should be doing and if there's ways we should do this differently. I know, that's a pretty broad agenda. Let me just put a bit of the things that we do up here. You know, in, in Lent, oh, I just spelled that wrong. We usually do, um, I'm spelling that wrong too. One of the things we've done the last couple of years, I'm just put a couple of things we've done the last couple of years at Pier. We have about four major drives in the year where we collect physical goods and give them to people either we know or through organizations that have long-term relationships with these people that they have the physical need. And, and, and I'll tell you honestly that um, there's often this temptation to say, well, it's better to give my money to an organization because they know their needs and how to spend it better than I do, right? And, and there's some traction to that. But I think the, the, the truth is, what I've observed not just here but in other places the last several years, is that if you do a goods collection, you'll get a lot more goods than you will get money. And I think it's evidence, frankly, that we're sacramental people. We like to be attached to stuff, knowing that real people get real things. And I want, I want to be really affirmative of that. You know, part of the, the, the thing that's really neat for me is that um, I can give funds to, let's pretend, Habitat in China, or I can pay a lot more money to participate in Habitat in China. The thing that will change me more is going to Habitat China. Habitat, interestingly enough, in order to go to China and do Habitat, they also make you pay funds to them. <laughs> so they recognize both realities as being helpful. But I actually think that's, I think that's good stewardship on their part. I mean, I really, I really do. They're helping raise money, and you're going to go over, and you're going to be an ambassador, right, for people to come and see the work and the need in the ministry. Okay, maybe I, I'm just going to shush up now. Souls for Souls. That's what we do in Lent. We collect shoes for homeless people. We wash their feet on Monday, Thursday if they want, and we give them new shoes. We've done that for two years, and this year we collected 100 pairs of shoes, right? Seems like the next, bigger, next big collection thing we do is school supplies, and you guys were doing that for years and years and years, and this past, week, past year somebody said, well, what if we did backpacks with school supplies? And I think we... We bought and stuffed, so we paid for them, and we stuffed them um, 125 backpacks for kids at McWhirter, the first time we'd ever tried it. And you should know, that's like 50-something dollars a backpack worth of school supplies, not counting the backpack that we bought, right? That was just tremendous for our, for our place. That was huge. And by the way, we got all, got all but four backpacks totally filled, all but like four. I think that's just because people forgot. <laughs> um, we do school supplies. We've done the last two years. We didn't even plan to do it this past year. Um, McWhorter, the school we gave this to, asked us. They said, we've got about 10 families that need a Thanksgiving dinner bag. You know, it had like beans and cornbread and dessert. So they, they said that, and could we get them by next week? And, and so we made 68 of those bags. <laughs> unexpectedly, right? And I, this is me bragging on you a little bit. Just let me brag on you. And then the other big drive that we've done um, is the, um, the Christmas gifts, right? And, and, and the year before, so I guess that was 2015, we, we did that for um, St. Vincent's House in Galveston, which, which really has sort of a, 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 a strong sense of community need. Um, and and they, do, they give clothing and they give medical care. And, and they had many kids in danger of not really receiving anything, right? And so I think we brought like 120 gifts down to, to St. Vincent's house in 2015. And this year, we, we did this with Bay Area Turning Point, right, who puts on actually, it's kind of a neat thing, they put on a, on a Christmas shop for victims of domestic violence. And the moms, in general, right, come in having just had to flee their home with their kids, and, and they shop. And they get to 
pick out what they know their kids would enjoy the most, right? And, and we brought over 175 uh, kids' worth of gifts for that, which um, was just incredible. Again, that's, that's, that's sacramental ministry. And think about how doubly it is. It's for us to give them and to go shopping for those kids alongside our own, right, or our grandkids, and, and then for these families to be able to give that to their kids, right? And the moms get to give it to their kids, and it's really incredibly empowering to think about, right? Um, those are like the four drives that we've done the last two years, actually, right? And, and, and I think they've been wildly successful. The other bits that we do here, and, and, and by the way, if anybody wants to comment on those, that's totally good. Um, the, the, the other things we've been doing is supporting people sort of with our time. And I, and I don't, we do so many things, it's hard not to, it's hard to, to do this without the danger of leaving somebody out, right? But we have a huge group of volunteers who goes over to the Nearly New Thrift Shop and staffs that completely. Um, they, the, the money that they raise, they disperse to the community, often uh, taking care of our school and needs the church identifies. But beyond that, right, it's not like they just go over there to make money. The people who go shop in that thrift shop often are in need of dignity and respect, and they want someone to talk to. And, and our volunteers do that. And our volunteers do this, this great thing, right, which is they, they take stuff that people don't want or need anymore, and they make it wantable and and to meet people's needs. Great prayer book, prayer in the prayer book that says, look with wonder on, that, on the church, that wonderful and sacred mystery that we can be a sign that old things are being made new and that things which have been cast down are being raised up. I mean, that's the nearly new, right? And, and, and I think they distributed something like $16,000 last year in addition to the regular ministry, right, of, 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 of repurposing stuff that, that people can use and enjoy. Um, we send people, you know, to Habitat for Humanity once a year. In fact, that happened yesterday. We sent, we sent a group over, right? Again, if that's not evangelism, I don't know what it is, right? We send people to the Beacon or the Dunn Center uh, once a month, usually, right? And, and that's where chronically homeless people, I mean, these are people who, who frankly are homeless and many of them choose to be homeless, right? Uh, and, and some of them have that choice, and they choose to stay that way, uh, but receive meals, and they can receive medical care, they get their laundry washed, right, in addition to other services provided for them there. And, and, and our volunteers have been bringing toiletries and, and helping those people wash their clothes and receive the services they need for a long, long time, and they do that once, they do that once a month. Right? It's a small but dedicated group that does that. Um, and that's another bit. We've been assisting with a food truck in League City, um, League City Rotary sponsors a, a fresh food delivery from the Galveston Food Bank that comes up to League City Elementary once a month. I know Sandra's been a bunch of times, Hal Snap's been a bunch of times, Josh and I have been, some other people may have been. This is really an amazing bit because um, schools like McWhorter, League City Elementary have a bunch of students that are on the free lunch list. So when they come to school, they get lunch, but what do they get on the weekends? Like this is the thinking. And so they bring up this food truck and people leave with like two gallons of milk, um, meat. I mean, basically they leave with 20 pounds of food, enough to last them kind of two weeks worth of fresh food that they can do bags of apples and bags of bread. I mean, it's really an impressive quantity of food that, 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 that people leave with. And we've been doing it over there. And what do you know, McWhorter said, we'd love to have a food truck. And their principal said, no, <laughs> not in our parking lot. Well, I had this funny idea that we could do that here. We've got a driveway. I mean, a drive-through, you know. We've got people in our community who are economically much more on the edge than we are, right? So, so we've got a parishioner who's working on doing that. Bring in a food truck here once a month. You know what it costs to get a whole tractor trailer full of groceries from the Galveston Food Bank once a month? I just want you to guess. $200 a month. I said, I'll write that check. I mean, you know, I mean, $200 would feed 150 people for two weeks? The answer is yes. 
I mean, we can do that, don't you think? We can do that. We could, we, we could even put it on our marquee, right? Um, come help us hand out food this week or get some if you're hungry, you know? And I, and I think people would show up, actually, if we did that. I think Nassau Bay would put it in the water bill. Food, dis, food distribution, come volunteer. I think so, right? And so we got a parishioner working on that. I just thought you should know. That's sort of a neat, neat thing, and we're hoping to have a food truck come in by August or September. Yes, ma'am. They did it one time. They sure did. They did it one time at St. Paul's. The St. Vincent de Paul's did the same bit over at St. Paul's Catholic Church. Yeah. See, this is one of those interesting things that we all wrestle with, don't it? Don't we all wrestle with accountability? I'll tell you, this is one of the hardest things for me when I walk by people who ask me for money, because the way I grew up is they'll buy alcohol with that. Do any of you have that as your first thought? I don't know what they'll do with money. You know, I, don't know what yeah. Do with yeah. And it's not really my business. And my Once business you is that, yeah, that you that. have no control over what they do with it. It's free. It makes yeah, I think I think I appreciate you, ladies, saying that because I think this actually does matter when we do any of these things. Because honestly, are there people that have already taken advantage of the things you've collected? I'm I'm 100% sure that yes, they have. They didn't really need that stuff, and they took it. Um, but, but I am pretty sure, right, that, that um, when you read um, Jesus' story in Matthew, that, that, that really Jesus is less interested in what people do with the stuff we give them. That's really between them and the Lord. <laughs> and what's between us and the Lord is whether we give. Now, I don't think that we should be silly, right? Because I can tell you that I used to work in a church and the pastor was known to have a substance abuse problem. In fact, he'd been in three inpatient drug rehabs in his 15-year ministerial career. And, uh, you know, he came out saying, yeah, this, this last one worked, right? And when he retired, the church took a collection for him and gave him $80,000 in cash. And I can tell you that's really a poison gift for a drug addict, no matter how recovered you think they are, right? That's just an crazy amount of money to give somebody with a known substance abuse problem. Some of you get this right. I mean, I have a trust, and my children have guardians until they're 30. <laughs> because giving a 21-year-old a wad of cash could destroy them. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to give. We just, but, but being thoughtful about it's helpful. But giving somebody $5 is probably not going to kill them. Now, I'm not telling you you should do that. I'm just telling you there's, some, there's, there's always two sides, and, and I think what God asks us to do is to not find reasons to be ungenerous, even if we, have to, even if we cast our generosity different ways, right? Um, we're, we're called to be generous. Is that really... I hope I didn't say anything offensive there. You didn't hear me say that, that you should profligately, profligately give your money away, Right? I, I, there are plenty of people I say no to. I do, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I say no. I don't know that it's right, but there's people I judge in the moment, and I just sort of say no. I don't have time to, do, to think of something better, or, or I'm on my way, or something. Like that. This happens, right? And, and I'm not telling you that, that, that you should. I don't want to use the word should. I think we all find ourselves in that situation. I, 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 I do think when we think about service, though, that... Um, sort of nice to think that, 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 that people can take advantage of generosity and we choose to give it either way, right? I mean, isn't that what you want for your children? You want them to know that they can take advantage of your generosity? I mean, really, like the core value as a parent. You don't want them to walk all over you, but you want them to know that if, that if they want something, you'll consider it, not just if they need something. Do, do, do you know what I mean? We have to wrestle with this stuff. We do, but, 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 I, but, but it's not easy it is complicated, and, and I think we're called to generosity. Yes, sir. I like that. I agree with you basically very much. I think you're right 
Yes. Versus I always got a few dollars of cash in my wallet. So it's easier to give cash than it is to give the gift bag. But the gift bag has a more, uh, I've, I've introduced some level of difficulty for that person to misuse it. Right? And so I, I could say the equivalent at the end, I could give a person drugs and say, you can go sell them <laughs> into food. Yes. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Because right, I just got some extra drugs, but I don't do that. So there's there's this graduation <laughs> you go from yeah. from making it very hard for them to do the right thing to making it for very easy for them to do the wrong thing. And, and I think that you need to give thought to that and structure it in such a way. But you can't be un ungiving uh, just because some people will abuse. Because some people will abuse anything. I think that's right, and, I, and I, I, it's really well said, and I think part of what you said, I think that comes back to sacraments going both ways, right, is if you're like me, you will give the gift of the food bag, not just with fewer reservations, but with much more generosity and joy than you'll give cash, because you're worried about what the cash will do. But I don't know anybody really worried that somebody who's getting a can of Vienna sausages really doesn't need those Vienna sausages, you know. Darn it, they got those things and they didn't really need them. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and that's where it's a really clever practice, right? And, and that's where I think, um, I, I, frankly, I, that's why we do it. That's why we have them every single week, not just once a month. Yes, ma'am. I think that's fair. I've had one, excuse me, I've had one to give the bag to, and he looked in it and he said, I don't want the bag. Yeah. I mean, that happens too, occasionally. Well, and if I'm real honest with you, I don't want Vienna sausages either. <laughs> I don't. And I'd have to be really darn hungry to, to eat them. And so maybe folks aren't at that point. And, you know, there's people in the world that have food allergies and have food aversions just like we do, right? And, and, and I don't think that means, well, <laughs> jerk, you didn't take my charity. I think it's just something that's real, you know? Yeah, I will tell you, I don't really know how you sell a gallon of milk secondhand. You, you know, like, I, I'm just, maybe that happens, but I, I, I just would be really surprised to see somebody knocking on doors at these apartments saying, you know, milk for sale, I just got it from the handout, but you can buy it from me. You, you, you know what I mean? And again, even if they did, so what? Right? That's right. And, and I could tell you if we do the food distribution here, if it works out, like I'm hoping and honestly praying that it will, we won't necessarily have that kind of accountability because we won't be partnering directly with the school, even though the school will tell people, you know, St. Thomas is doing that the third, the third Saturday of the month or the third Wednesday or whatever. And, and, you know, my sort of proclivity is it's worth investing in offering it, even if people who don't really need fresh food come have fresh food. <laughs> when you ask that question, it's a little bit funny, right? You don't really need fresh food. <laughs> well, I mean, we all do. You, you know, we all do need fresh food. Yes, sir? Yeah, you know, because yeah. Yeah, 
except that you know from working at the Beacon that there are people who are chronically homeless by their choice. Yeah. And they don't, want, they don't want to live in a home. They just don't. Because it, that's, well, that's what I mean about not want to or can't, right? Same, same bit. There's no conversion therapy that's going to work for them. Right. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Nick. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can tell you I lived in Atlanta in the 96 Olympics, and you know what they did with the panhandlers is they just put them on a bus and drove them 100 miles out of town and let them off the bus because they didn't want panhandlers during the Olympics. It took them a while to get back. I mean, I'll tell you, it did. And, and, and what, what an interesting civic strategy that was, right? Um, yeah. Here, here, here's the bottom line, right? There's not a thing on here that's going to get somebody out of a structure of poverty. We just need to be honest about that. We could take all the money and resources that these things represent, and we could probably get one person the chance of getting out of structural poverty. I mean, let's be honest about that, right? One of the best things about this church, you, you may not know, right, is that we have somebody called a V-Pod. That's the vestry person of the day. And they come and they count the money and they help serve the coffee. Well, frankly, they used to help serve the coffee. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of coffee and there's dishes. And, and your priest got this idea we should have dishes at church because we have them at home. It makes people stay. It's nicer to drink out of. Ecologically sensitive, maybe you think. But beyond that, it's a hospitality thing, right? A dish means a lot more than a styrofoam cup to me. Well, the V-Pods didn't want to wash them. <laughs> I can't imagine why they didn't want to wash 150 cups. Um, see, now I was over with the Lowe's one day. And there was a guy helping me load some Christmas tree branches in the back of the truck because we were going to make um, Advent wreaths out of the clippings. And I don't know, I think he let slip that, that Lowe's had cut his hours and he was just looking for honest work and honest pay. He's been, he's been doing our coffee for a year and a half. And, and talk about a win-win, right? I mean, my wife met Tommy and said, Tommy's on your church staff, right? <laughs> I was like, no, no. And she was like, oh, well, he should be. And, and, and it sort of got me thinking, well, actually, he is, right? He is. And, um, and that's what I mean about our, 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 our resources. And by the way, that service, but, but notice that we're the ones getting served. I don't just mean because you don't do your dishes. I mean because the way he treats us with dignity and kindness and affection, right? I mean, golly, that's a gift. To, that's a gift. So we do that, and we do the beacon, and we do this food distribution we're working on in League City, right? And I mentioned that we do Habitat already. And um, golly, what am I missing? I mean, thanks. We also collect food bags for ICM. You know, and honestly, um, when we first were just doing that, this is the truth. When we, this was all we were doing, man, we were filling those carts up every week. The carts are less full, but I, because we're doing lots and lots of things. And I don't think that's bad. You know, ICM awarded us Partner of the Year, <laughs> partner of the year um, because we do a lot of things for ICM, not just collecting that food, right? But that food makes a really, really big difference. And people haul that stuff over there regularly. Used to be uh, we had a food drive once a month. And oddly enough, we've, since we've had those grocery bags, we've been collecting at least twice as much, even in a slim month. Sm slim month as we used to be doing. And, and, and you know why? I think because we have this reminder that buying groceries for other people when you buy your own groceries is sacramental. And, and, and we could just write a check, but it means a lot to buy groceries for other people when you buy your own groceries. Well, I think it means a lot to me to do that. And, and um, so we do that too. And am I missing anything else that we do, friends? Sandy? Man. Which, by the way, is a principal act of liturgy. You do that at your own expense, right? Yeah. And the nitwits who, who knit prayer shawls and scarves for uh, mariners, like you know, you know, people who were doing all this commercial sea traffic, and prayer squares, and also cloths for Maundy Thursday foot washing, right? Now, look, I can tell you the Holy Smokers go on here because they raise money for Episcopal Relief and Development, and they do. They do it by cooking meat, 
right? I could tell you that, um, I mean, really, you can make the case that anything we do goes on here, but what I'm trying to put up here are things that are explicitly externally focused. Does that, does that make sense? I'm trying to make the case the internal stuff's just as good. We're just talking about a subcategory. Is that, is that okay? And what I wanted to do, gosh, we're not, I don't know if we're representative or big enough, but I just wanted to see what you think about these things. Are these the kind of things? Awesome. Well, I like them, but maybe they're not the things we want to keep doing. I don't know the answer to that. Do you feel overwhelmed by the times that St. Thomas asks you to contribute to these things? That's an important question to ask. No, you don't feel like you have to. Right, right. Okay. You do what fits you. Is there anybody here who has a burning desire to say we really should add blank thing on there? Yes, sir. I appreciate that. I, I, and I've got to say, um, having done mission trips, like a week-long mission trip, which, by the way, we do that, too. I didn't put that on the list. We do that. In general, we try very hard to partner with an organization that's long-term in a community, and we're their sort of their muscle for the week, and they're the ongoing relationship. And P.S., that's pretty much what all these bits do, right? They uphold communities and schools. And this one did too. This one went to ICM two years ago when we did it on purpose. This one upholds Crossroads at Park Place, right, which has availability with services and food for homeless people up right by Hobby Airport there twice a week, right? Bay Area Turning Point or St. Vincent's, right? I mean, really, that's, that's muscle to the people on the ground. And like you're saying, nearly newer people on the ground. Habitat, that's muscle to people on the ground, right? Uh, beacon, one of those bits, right, that we talked about. Food distribution, maybe somewhere in the middle, but really that's upholding that we don't do it one time. You can expect to come here every month, right? And, and so it's, it's a little bit of both as well, right? You, you have limited interaction. I, I, I appreciate that, and, and I think that's, that's a goal. I think what's interesting is if these efforts grow and they get built upon, then, then that offers more and more interaction. You know, there, there are not a lot of people, it turns out, that really wanted their feet washed this year. I think there are about 10 out of the 200, well, the 150 people there and the 100 shoes. One person came up and said, I heard there's a rumor that if I let you wash my feet, I get some new shoes. And I said, well, the rumor's better than that. You can just have the shoes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and by the way, what a neat rumor to, to overcome, right? It's like you don't have to do anything for the outward invisible grace. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Habitat for Humanity is looking for a board member. Okay. So anyone in this group that's interested in looking up the Habitat for Humanity board, to me or to Lauren. You know, ICM's looking for a board member, too. And those ICM Interfaith Caring Ministries to whom our food collection goes and to whom our decorated Christmas trees, the school decorates trees for them that raise about $1,000 a year, and we sent the Thanksgiving bags over there two years ago. Um, ICM's looking for that. I want to tell you um, a little bit other things, and let's just think through, and by the way, follow up with me individually. This is probably not the right, right group. Um, there's something really meaningful for me about bits like, bits like this, particularly, because I sort of saw that in San Diego and got the idea to do it, idea to do it here. San Diego, um, they did this because the diocesan center 
you sort of like the, you know, like the headquarters that's right now on Texas Street downtown. Is it on Texas Street? Yeah, I think it's on Texas Street downtown. It was in um, Point Loma in San Diego, which had a really high uh, concentration of homeless people. A lot of homeless people like to live at the beach because the, temper the temperature is temperate, right, honestly. So, so there they go. So the diocesan center was intentionally built down there. And on Monday, Thursday, they did this shoe, they did this shoe drive. Right, and the other things they did were um, it was the bishops out washing feet, you know, which was nice. They wore latex gloves, which I thought kind of missed the point. But anyway, they did. And as I'm always always a critical guy, you know. Um, but they served breakfast and lunch there that day, as they did every Saturday and a couple days during the week. And then they had um, they had people giving haircuts because if you're homeless, when you're going to get your hair cut, right? And they had um, they had veterinarians giving pet vaccinations because you'd be surprised at how many homeless people have pets. Little judgmental me always thought, well, if you can't take care of yourself, you shouldn't have a pet. You know, what a silly way to think, honestly, right? We all want companionship and love, don't we? Um, some doctors giving medical care, and then they got real, they got real something. They, they, uh, they started having um, chair massage, and, um, and, and massage therapists come on that day as well. So what they turned Monday Thursday into was a spa day for the homeless. And, and, and I thought, how silly, the resources should go to this and that, and you know, again, like my, my turnaround was, right, um, was cutting hair. I've probably cut 100 homeless people's hair now, even though I'm not a licensed cosmetologist, um, I cut hair, and uh, so, so I've done it, and it occurred to me that's the one time during the year someone's going to touch this person's head with dignity, probably, you know. I hope to God it's more than that, but it's one of the few times, and someone will give care, and of course everybody would sit down and they'd say, I just washed my hair this morning, and they did not wash their hair this morning, and it didn't matter, you know. They were, they were embarrassed to receive the care that we take for granted because we pay someone to give it to us, right? Uh, it occurred to me, this is one of those things uh, would be really amazing to have somebody there giving pedicures. What a silly thing. What a good way to give dignity to somebody, right? I'd love to go next year and bring shoes, and I'd love to bring three or four people who do pedicures and three or four people who do chair massage. It's a neat thing, and, and you know what, what occurs to me, going back to the beginning, and I just said that about that, um, I'm going to say a couple other things here on the front, is that so often we have a narrow understanding of what evangelism is, right? And isn't God's good news really broadly defined, you know? I mean, isn't receiving somebody's attention and, and, and expertise for five minutes. Isn't that pretty just good news, right? I have physicians that I pay who are sometimes evangelists because they sit and they listen to me. And that is very contra my experience. I mean, they, they show no sign of needing to get up until I'm done. Do you, do you know what I mean? You ever had a doctor do that with you? Did it make a difference? Did you leave thinking like, wow, that was such a good doctor? I've had people do that in all walks of life. I've had people do that change in my oil. And I've had the regular oil change, right? I mean, what's interesting is we have unlimited ways to serve each other. And what's amazing for me about this, this bit I just mentioned about how they do it in San Diego is it really opened my mind to say, you know, golly, like I don't need to narrowly define this as monetary relief or food relief because giving people dignity and grace and love is is good news and what do you know maybe i'd like to figure out how to do this we're given a lot of backpacks but you know when i went to school we always got haircuts before school you know back to school haircut and we got back to school outfits yeah. right and we do that a bit with our thrift shop um but expanding these things is even a possibility, right? To say like, hey, you know, we, we love to have, St. Thomas is gonna sponsor haircuts at McWhorter, a couple of different ways. 
there's someone in the diocese that goes around and gives them. And that's their ministry, right? Yeah, it's amazing to hear that somebody's ministry of service and evangelism is giving people haircuts because you need that for a job interview, right? You need that structurally. It's not just a frou-frou thing, but even if it were, right, to have somebody touch your head with care and with dignity, right? That's, that's vulnerability. It's an amazing bit. Okay, look, I've gone on and told it the whole time. If any of this speaks to you and you say, Mike, I didn't know we'd do that, I want to help lead that, or... You know, Mike, I've been thinking about what you said, and I think we really need to start blank ministry, and I would love to lead it. <laughs> you heard the second part there, didn't you? <laughs> I would be so grateful for talk to you, but talk to you more about it. But more than anything, I want to make sure you know that what I value about this community, and you were doing it before I got here, and you're doing, we're doing it together, is that you're liturgists. You are serving the world at your own expense. And it makes a difference whether they know to thank you or not. I know, thank you, and God knows. And through your service, as Christ called us, and you're doing, you're being good news to the world, and you are. And you're big-hearted people, and, and thank you on behalf of God for what you do. Okay, next week we'll talk about the normal ones. <laughs>